The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, friends, it's great to be with you. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We are glad that you're with us this morning, and uh, if you are joining us, if you're new to us, you're joining us at the very beginning of a new sermon series. So we started a new series last week uh, looking at Jesus's kingdom parables. These kingdom parables are found in the Gospel of Matthew, and so this morning we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 and then verses 18 through 29. But if you were with us last week, then you remember the context in which Jesus gave these parables, at least this first one. He had woken up in the morning and he had gone out by the lake, and as he was there, the crowds gathered around him, and they came to him looking for teaching, looking for works, looking for something that they had maybe never seen before. And so Jesus gets into a boat and he goes out into the lake and from there he teaches them. But he didn't teach them in some sort of didactic or systematic way. He didn't give them a miracle. He didn't perform some wondrous deed. No, instead he spoke to the people with parables. And this was confusing, not just to the people, but it was confusing to the disciples. And so last week we heard why it is that Jesus spoke in parables. He told his disciples that he speaks in parables to reveal those who see, truly see, versus those who are blind. To reveal those who truly hear and those who are deaf. That's the reason for the parables. Well, this week we actually begin with a parable. We return now. We turn to the first of the parables, and that is the parable of the sower. And so let's follow along in Matthew 13. Beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now verse 18. Jesus goes on, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another 30. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and ask that you would make the soil of our hearts rich soil in which your, the word, the seed of your word is implanted and it would sprout forth fruit, fruit in abundance. Father, we pray that you would do this in our hearts through this passage so that we as your people would live as your people and we would lead fruitful lives pointing to you. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. So my next door neighbor is undertaking a, uh, a very vast, very extensive remodel project in his yard. Over the last few months, he's been uh, destroying his yard. I mean, it, it looks nothing like it once looked. A few months ago, he brought in a tree service, and over the course of 10 days, they took down every single tree in his yard. Over 30 trees were taken down. And these were massive trees, right? Trees far taller than his house. They were big and wide. If they would fall over the wrong way, it would destroy not just a fence, but, but a house. And so he came in and he had them all taken away. And now the, the change is evident to everyone. People will drive up to our house to, to visit us, to drop something off, and they look and they can see, they can see how different the yard looks. People start walking into my backyard just to look at his yard because it is so barren. The trees are gone. What was once filled with trees, the remnants of the wooded area that was my neighborhood before houses were built is no more, but, but the rehab has just begun. See, he's not done with it yet. He has plans to regrade the yard, to put in a retaining wall, to build steps down the hillside, and to plant grass. Because now that the trees are gone and the sun shines in his yard uninhibited, he has dreams of thick, green, luscious fescue. <laughs> but that dream has waited. And it's been on pause, and it's waited, and his yard has sat empty for months. Because though the trees are gone and there is no more shade and the sunlight is hitting the ground, there's still no grass. Instead of green of grass, all there is is the red of clay. You see, the trees have been removed and the soil disturbed, and, and as the rain has washed away the top layer of soil, what is left is hard, compacted ground. And so he waits before he plants any sort of seed, before he'll scatter any seed. He waits because he knows that even if he bought the best seed that money could buy and he got it off, started with a good fertilizer and he watered it and it had plenty of sun as it does now because there are no trees, even if he did all of those things, he's still lacking something vital, good soil. And we know this, right? For seed to take root, for it to sprout, it needs sun and water, but it also needs soil rich compost, full of nutrients. Seeds need a hospitable place to take root, for it to grow. It needs soil. And that's what this parable is telling us. You see, this lesson is a lesson of soils and of seeds, but, but Jesus isn't just simply giving us a lesson about agriculture, about how fescue will best grow in my neighbor's yard. No, Jesus is giving us a lesson of the heart. He's telling us that the seed of the gospel, the seed of God's word, it, it has been spread, it has been cast, and it falls on different soils, different hearts. And in those hearts, some it takes root and grows. 
And so the question we should be asking ourselves as we come to this passage, the question that we should be asking ourselves as we listen to this sermon is, what is the soil of my heart? And we should ask that as we're confronted by this story because there are four soils, there are four hearts. And I want us to look at each one of them. And as we look at each one, then what we're going to see is that though there are four soils, there are really only two responses. Now, the first soil is the soil of a hardened heart. We see this, the seed was scattered, it fell on the path, right? The path that had been hardened, perhaps it's a path that went through a field because that's how the path would go in this culture. From city to city, town to town, as people walked, as they traversed from one place to another, they would often walk through a farmer's field, And over time, that place where there was good soil, where maybe there was once wheat or barley that could have grown there, over time, after step after step, it became hardened. And that good soil was now hardened path, right? Think of my, the clay of my neighbor's yard. He can throw seed on it, he can water it, it can get plenty of sun, but the rain, the water will just wash it away. It would end up in my yard, Or the birds could fly down and devour it before it could ever take root. And that's what Jesus says about this soil. The birds came and devoured it. And then he goes on and says that this soil is when someone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. And the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the hard heart. This reminds me of a conversation I had with a man many years ago. Shortly after I became a Christian, I went home to Canada, and I was spending time there with my family, and I was talking to this man who I'd known for many years and had known me for many years. He had actually watched me grow up through my teenage years, and so we're sitting there talking, and I was a new believer. The gospel had taken root in my life, and and it had changed my life, And, and so I wanted him to hear this, and so I told him about God's mercy and his grace and how salvation comes only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as a new believer, I was very excited, I was very enthusiastic, and I couldn't wait to see his response. But instead of responding with joy and celebration at what he had heard, he said he wanted nothing to do with it. He said that if his life could not be found through his own morality, through his own good works, then he didn't want to hear the gospel. He said to me, Penny, He actually called me John. (laughs) I once went by that, believe it or not. (laughs) He said, John, I don't want to know that apart from Jesus, I would go to hell. I would rather live my life as I want to. Ignorance is bliss. It's not how I hoped he would respond. It's a sad, terrible response. This man, he never pretended to be a Christian. He never called himself one. Instead, when he heard the word, he rejected it and disregarded the truth. The soil of his heart was hard. But that's not the only soil we see in this passage. That's the first one. The second soil is not a hard heart, but it's a shallow heart. Jesus says this heart is likened to rocky soil. Its seed falls upon it, it takes root, and it springs up. But, but the sun in the, comes out and scorches it, and the plant withers away. Now, Jesus tells us that what causes this withering is tribulation and persecution. But notice in verse 21, he says, tribulation and persecution on account of the word. 
Now, this is an important qualification because it would be easy for us as Christians, maybe as people who are conservative in our social or economic or political views, to think that when tribulation or difficulty comes upon us because of those other issues, social or political views, then we are experiencing persecution. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the difficulty and tribulation and persecution that may arise because we hold fast to the word, to the gospel. What he's telling us is that this man, this person, this is the person who hears the beauty of the gospel and the loveliness of the kingdom and at first affirms it with joy and embraces the truth, but, but they have an expectation of the Christian life that it will be one of ease and comfort. And why not? Maybe some of us experience this, right? I mean, we think of all that Jesus has said, right? That they come follow me and, and you will experience joy. And, and not just any kind of joy, but abundant joy. And you will experience new life. Not just new life, but everlasting life. And we heard even our assurance of pardon that we are new creatures, right? The, the old is gone and the new has come. And so shouldn't our lives be filled always with joy and celebration and rejoicing and ease and comfort? Well, there are some who think that. But we know that in the Christian life that though there is joy abundant, there is also difficulty and trial and struggle. That it's not just smelling roses and Sunday strolls. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because do you remember what Jesus said? He said that if they hated me, they'll hate my followers. He said that, that in this life, you will experience tribulation and difficulty. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. That is not a life of ease and comfort. And so what do we do? How do we respond when difficulty arises, when persecution comes, when tribulation arises? And let's just be honest, y'all. I mean, living in the West, particularly in America, even more particularly in the South, like, we don't really face persecution, right? I mean, like, especially comparative to our, our brothers and sisters around the world. Like, I know sometimes we like to put on this sort of martyr complex a little bit, but let's be honest. We do not experience the persecution that Jesus often talks about, but one day we might. And we shouldn't be surprised if it comes. So what is the soil of our heart going to be in that day? You see, this person, this shallow heart, expects a life of ease and comfort, and when it's not, they fall away. Instead of serving Jesus, this heart is ultimately serving their own comforts. Their heart is shallow. Well, that's the second soil. The third soil, the third heart, is a choked heart. This seed falls amongst thorns and produces some growth, and over time, the thorns grow up and choke out the growth. And Jesus tells us that this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is the person who is appropriating their Christianity through the lens of their social or political or economic concerns rather than appropriating their social and economic and political concerns through a lens of Christianity. 
It's like the rich young ruler of Luke 18. You remember the rich young ruler? This is the man who, uh, he was a young man, he had great power, he had great wealth, and he comes to Jesus and he asks him a great question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is, like that one question, I mean, we, we could spend sermons on that one question. It is a wonderful question. Now, he, he asks it in the wrong way, what must I do? That's a big problem, but, but what he's desiring is beautiful, isn't it? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, well, you know the commandments, keep them. And so he lists off five commandments, right? He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, do these things. And what does the rich young ruler do? Man, he's pretty confident. He's feeling pretty good. Could imagine he kind of bows his chest a little bit as he says to Jesus, well, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus said, one, one thing you still lack. See all that you have, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he, the rich young ruler, heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we know the point of this, right? The point isn't that wealth or riches are sinful or evil in of themselves. They're not. For the scripture has countless examples of, of people who had great wealth and used their wealth to serve the Lord, right? We think of David, we think of Abraham, the patriarchs, even people in the New Testament who use their wealth for the sake of the kingdom and of the church advancing. And so the problem isn't wealth. The problem is that wealth and the cares of this world easily take hold of the human heart. And this isn't just a problem for the wealthier, the one percenters. We can be consumed with wealth as well. The poor, the middle class, the, the comfortable, the wealthy, we can all serve wealth and the desires for it. I mean, you remember uh, Rockefeller's famous response to the question, how much is enough money? You remember what his answer was? Just a little bit more. And whether we are talking about millions or thousands or hundreds or even tens of dollars, that can easily be our response, just a little bit more. But y'all, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world they will choke the heart. Now, what's the most sobering thing about this soil, and not just this one, but the soil that came before it, is that in both these soils, there's initial growth. Did you notice that? That, that in both these instances, it looks like the soil of the heart is good at first, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus said that it started to grow a little bit, and then it withered away. It started to grow a little bit, and then it was choked out. And so this, this should be a very sobering message to us because it should cause us to examine our own hearts. See, Jesus never tells us how long it took for the growth to wither or to be strangled. In the life of a person, perhaps it was a week or a month, maybe years or ten years, but over time, eventually, the soil is revealed. And so we should examine our hearts. What is the soil of my heart? Now, although the first three of these soils all differed a little bit, 
the truth is, is that each response is the same, isn't it? It's a response of rejecting the kingdom. It's a rejection that reveals that they were never truly receiving the kingdom in the first place. And this rejection is actually contrasted with the final soil. There are four soils, but really there are two responses. The response of rejection, but then the final soil receives the kingdom and it reveals in this receiving a fruitful heart. So this seed falls upon the good soil and it produces grain. So this is the heart that having heard the word of the kingdom receives it and produces fruit. 160, 30 fold. Now what's amazing about the amount of harvest that takes place is the abundance. You see, theologians tell us that in this day, a productive or a successful harvest would have been tenfold. But Jesus is saying that in the life of this heart, in the soil of this heart, that it produces 30 and 60 and 100 fold. This would have been spectacular. The abundance would have been enormous. That's one of the ways that this soil differs with all the others in that this produces an abundant harvest. But the other way that it's different is that this soil, this fruit perseveres. It continues Did you notice Jesus never describes the growth as limited, as short, as fading away? But it produces, it grows, and it continues to produce. And the reason for this, the reason the fruit is never choked out and it's never uprooted is because of what Peter tells us in 1 Peter. That we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. An imperishable seed that produces abundant fruit. Fruit that reveals that we are Christ's disciples. That's what Jesus said in John 15. You remember he said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And what does it look like to be a disciple? It means it looks like being like Jesus. Embodying the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy. Peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For those who have heard the word of the kingdom and have understood it and have received it and has taken root in our hearts, that is the fruit that should be evident. So let's be very practical for a minute. Let's be very practical. One way that we can demonstrate this fruitful life is by rejoicing when we see fruit in others. Now, why do I say that? Well, do you notice that Jesus said that the fruit that will be developed in the life of his people, some will have 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And so how do you respond when you think about that? Or when you observe it? Like, let's just imagine, maybe maybe you're a 30 fold person. And you see a 60 or 100 fold. So what's the response in your heart? Is it rejoicing and celebrating or is it resentment and jealousy? Like, how? How come I don't have that fruit? And how come I don't have that much fruit? And how come Jesus hasn't done that in my life? And and why that? I mean, does he really know that person that well? Because if he knew what I knew about that person, I I don't think they're a hundred fruit kind. They're maybe like a two fruit person. We do that, don't we? Or let's flip it. Maybe you're a hundred yield kind of fruit person. And what wells up in your heart when you see the 30 or the 60? Self-righteousness? Pride? 
I mean, why, why can't they love like I do? Why aren't they faithful like I am? But y'all, pride and self-righteousness, resentment and jealousy, these aren't the fruit of good soil. No, celebration, rejoicing, thanksgiving, love and joy, peace and patience, etc. Like, that is the fruit of good soil. That we can actually rejoice, not just with one another, but we can rejoice at the fact that God has worked in the life and the heart of someone in ways that he hasn't in me or in you. That we can celebrate that. We can rejoice over it. We can, we can speak to one another about that. That I see the way Jesus is working in your life and it is beautiful. That's what a fruitful life looks like. It rejoices in the fruit of others. So what is the soil of your heart? You know, later this month, my neighbor is having soil delivered to his yard. Rich, dark, nutrient-filled soil. And he's having it brought into his yard, and afterwards, I'm sure they'll pat it down and smooth it out and prep it and get it ready, and he's going to scatter seed. And when that soil is there, there will be a place for roots to dig deep and for growth to take place. There will be good soil to receive the seed and to bear fruit. So what is the soil of your heart? Not what is the soil of his heart or her heart. Not what is the soil of, of that person. You see, the, the, the parable isn't inviting us to analyze one another's hearts, right? This isn't for us to go, man, I really wish so-and-so was here because I'm pretty sure they're thorny. <laughs> that is not the point of this parable. That is not the point of this sermon. The point of this parable and this sermon is for us to look at our own hearts and ask, what is the soil of my heart? and of yours, and for us to ask God, Father, till my heart. Make it a place for deep roots. Allow your word to grow abundantly. Father, produce fruit in me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word, that we know that it does not return void, but it goes out for the purposes in which you sent it and that it will return to you. And so we pray that it would return with a fruit of abundance in my life, in our lives, individually as well as corporately. And so make us, Father, a people. Till the soil of our hearts, make us a people that receives your word and for your word to grow in our lives so that today and every day we would be demonstrators of a life of Christ. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. And God's people said together, amen.